we're not going to stop there, but we're going to kind of continue uh, to, to uh, unpack some things I believe the Lord's going to revolutionize our lives and bring us into this place of, uh, of great comfort and great blessing. Uh, it's good to have Brother Tim and his wife. Uh, they'll be here. Him and his band is going to be here, his worship team. It's going to be amazing. July 30th at 5.30. Don't miss it. Uh, Tim and Kelly, we're grateful. They're part of Bethel. They're family now. They they just came. And we, we've been knowing them for years. Um, I gave them a few steel guitar lessons when we were kids. And we lived out by the airport. That house is gone. and uh, But it's some good memories. And God has really touched him and the ability to write songs. And he's gifted and uh, in, in ministry, and we're grateful for he and his wife, and uh, I'm just thankful. Psalm 77 is written by Asaph. Asaph was one of the worship leaders, but he was in distress. I don't know if there may be somebody here today that feels the pressure, and you may be even somewhat depressed, but this message is for you. It's something that I believe that we all need to wrap our hearts around because as Asaph, the first six verses are amazing. In the King James, he uses personal pronouns. He uses I, me, mine, and my 23 times. But I want you to understand something. After about the 10th verse, the I is gone because all of a sudden it shifts to you. I felt the Holy Ghost. It shifts from I to you. Let me tell you, God's bringing us into a transition. And he's going to wrap us up in this beautiful, beautiful uh, word that he wants us to know today. Notice what Asaph says. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice. And he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore, my hands were outstretched in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. Have you ever been in a place where even after you prayed, you didn't have the comfort that you were looking for? Even after you, you read the word and, and you prayed and, and you did everything you knew to do and you still, Asaph is there. I remembered God, look, verse 3, and was troubled. Boy, that's kind of an odd statement. I remembered God and was troubled. Now, there's a reason. He said, I complained. And my spirit was overwhelmed. Pause and calmly think about that is what Salah means. He said, thou holdest mine eyes waking. I can't sleep. I'm so troubled I can't even speak. I've considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart and my spirit made diligent search. It means ponder diligently. Then he begins to ask some questions. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth he promise fail? Does his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Has he, he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Pause and calmly think about that. 
Then he said in verse 10, here's the shift. And I said this in my infirmity, in my weakness, in my limitations. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember. Here's where the shift takes place. The works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate also of all your work and talk of your doings. Notice the shift from I to you. The I is gone. All of the anguish. God loves you too much to leave you in your anguish. Let me tell you one thing he won't do. He won't come into your anguish with you. and, and he'll, he'll come into it to comfort you. And to, he loves you too much to leave you there. So he's going to move you out to another place. He says, you're God that does wonders. You declared your strength among the people. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Notice he's changed his whole conversation now. The waters saw you, O oh God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths were also troubled. He's talking about the Red Sea and the parting of the Red Sea. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of your thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. The way is in the sea and thy path and the great waters. And your footsteps are not known. Now, this could be a prophecy of Jesus walking on the water. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now, in the Passion Translation, it says... Your steps formed a highway through the seas. With footprints on a pathway no one even knew was there. Come on, do you know whatever circumstance you were in, whatever problem you may facing, whatever you're carrying, there's a way out that you may not even see yet. And I want to tell you, there is a way out. He says, you led your people forward by your loving hand. Blessed by, the, blessed by the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Now I want you to look over to Hebrews 4 with me. You understand Asaph went from I, me, my, and mine to you. He went to a place where he found rest. That's what I want to talk about. I started Wednesday night talking about entering into this rest. Hebrews chapter 4, Let, let's look at the last couple of verses of chapter 3 first. If you'll go there with me, uh, I think we need to see that once again. And we're going to read it from the Passion, verse 16. The same people who were delivered from bondage and brought out of Egypt by Moses were the ones who heard and still rebelled. They grieved God for 40 years by sinning in their unbelief until they dropped dead in the desert. So God swore an oath that they would never enter into His calming place of rest all because they disobeyed Him. It is clear that they could not enter into their inheritance because they wrapped their hearts in unbelief. Now look at the first part of chapter 4. Now the promise of entering into God's rest is still for us today. Hallelujah. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. 
For we've heard the good news of deliverance just as they did. Yet they did not join their faith with the word. They didn't join with Joshua and Caleb. There is a word, the definition of word in the New Testament is logos. Logic. You understand that we, we need to go from our human logic to God logic. God's logic is amazing. But it takes faith. In that chapter, I won't go into all of it because I believe God wants to do something and I want to pray for people today because I believe that there is a great need for people to be delivered from the weight and the worry and the anxiety and the circumstances and the situations that should have no say-so over our faith walk. Now, I want to tell you about the children of Israel. It wasn't their fate that brought them out of Egypt. It wasn't their fate that brought the miracles. It wasn't their fate that parted the Red Sea. I'm about to shout. It wasn't their faith that gave them manna. But it was their faith that kept them from entering into the rest. It was really not the absence of faith. It was a need for faith because that word rest means really to trust God. And their unbelief was a sign that they didn't really believe what he was going to do. If he could bring them out of Egypt, if he could bring them through 40 years, if he could bring them uh, through the miracles and the signs and what laid with the wealth of Egypt, and there was not one feeble, read Psalm 107, there was not one feeble one among them. If he could bring them out of all that, didn't he have the ability to bring them in? Because he never brings us out of anything without a, an appropriation and a provision to bring us into something. I'm so overwhelmed. So he says in Hebrews 4, he said, the works of the Lord were finished before the foundation of the world. They were completely finished. That includes your circumstance, your situation. Before we ever showed up, God already finished his works. He already made provision. Before Adam and Eve ever showed up in the garden, God already had everything they would need. God's in eternity. We're in time. But you understand there's a place God wants us to enter into called rest. Let's read a little bit more. I want to take you a little bit further. The writer of Hebrews talks about verse 3, for those who, of us who believe faith activates the promise and we experience the realm of confident rest. For he, he said, I was grieved with them and made a solemn oath, they'll never enter into my rest. God's works have all been completed from the foundation of the world. Even catabol, that word catabol means to fall, to fall down. 
Even though the fall of the world happened, God had already completed his work. Hang with me. I want you to think about that. He said, for it says in the scripture on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, as he stated before, they will not enter into my rest. Those who first heard the good news of deliverance failed to enter in. Now, how many believe Israel was saved? When they came out of Egypt, they came through the Red Sea. That's a type and a shadow of, of the salvation being baptized. They were completely saved. But they couldn't enter in to the rest that God had prepared for them, the land flowing with milk and honey, because they failed to believe. They wrapped their hearts in unbelief. I'm going somewhere. Hang with me. He said, yet the fact remains, those who heard the good news couldn't enter in because the realm of faith rests because of their unbelieving hearts. Yet the fact remains that we still have the opportunity to enter into the faith rest life and experience the fulfillment of the promise. Now that term is used three times. Look at verse 10. As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works just as God celebrates his finished works and rest in them. So then we must be eager to experience this faith rest life. Now in the King James, it says, let us labor. That word labor is not self-effort. It's not working and, and, and striving. That word labor comes from spedazzo. It's a, it's a word that means make haste. It's where we get speedy from. He said, "Don't." here's what it means. Let us not wait any longer. Do not tarry anymore to enter in to God's rest. Don't wait another day. What, uh, let me tell you, I, I fit that category. There was a moment when I thought I had to do all of this. My doing got in the way of my being. And when your doing gets in the way of your being, you're going to be striving and struggling. But when you come into this place of being the beloved of the Father, the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Here, let me tell you something about righteousness. It, it, we, the Bible said, Paul said, we, uh, he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness in, of God in him. Now, whose righteousness do you have? You have been given the same righteousness of God. If you were made the righteousness of God, anything outside of that perspective becomes filthy rags. Anything that we embrace to try to fix things when God reserves the right to take the responsibility as pater, the one who sees us and takes responsibility for us. If we try to, to, to see with a different perspective, if we look at ourselves with a different perspective that God sees us, the children of Israel, they were really close. It was 11 days to the promised land. When they showed up, God told Moses, send 12 spies. 
a representative from every tribe. Ten came back with an evil report. They focused on the trouble and the problem instead of the promise. When we begin to focus on the problem and we exalt the promise of the problem over the promise, then it becomes an insult. Hang with me. I'm going to just tell you the truth. I've been here. I know what it is to lose sleep because I've focused on the problem instead of the promise. It's going to be good. It's going to be amazing. I mean, this is so liberating. Because he says, he goes on to say, this faith rests light. Now, let me give, tell you what that, faith, pistis, confidence. Faith is confidence. I believe that God will do what he said he would do. Faith. Rest comes from the word Catapausis. It really means to repose down. Really to abide, to set up housekeeping. Come from a word catapau. It means to cease and desist. From what? From your labor. From your trying. If religion says try harder, then the opposite of that is... Stop trying so hard. Oh, it mess, I'm going to offend some religious people right now. But I'm going to say it. It's already too late. No turning back. I found a freedom in this place called rest. Ooh, where I've stopped trying so hard. And I've just given it to him. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Come on. You understand something. When you take on his perspective of you, you carry the easy part. All of a sudden, you can stop trying so hard. Yes, amen. Catapow. Cease and desist. Children of Israel never learned how to do that. They never, and that's one reason that the giants were their focus. is because they didn't trust what God said he was going to do. All the way to the promise. They didn't believe. And they, they, they wrapped their hearts in unbelief and it became an insult to God. Hang with me. He says, Faith, rest, life. Pistis, catapausis, and zoe. That's the God kind of life. That's a whole different life. He says, so then we must be eager. Let us labor, let us spedazzo. Hurry up, don't wait any longer to enter into the rest so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. For we have the living Word of God, which is full of energy, sharp and powerful, more sharper than a two-edged sword. Like a two-mouthed sword is what that means. God said it. That's one edge. When I say it, it's double-edged. Because I come in agreement with God's perspective. Now I got the sword of the Word of God. He says... 
He says, for we have the living like a two-mile sword. It will penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. I want to come into the place where I have God's perspective about me. I, I don't want the world. I don't want circumstances. I don't want anybody's opinion to define or to, to skew or even though there may be well-meaning people. I don't want any of that to cause me to miss God's perspective of how He feels about me. Come on. This is better than butter beans, and I love butter beans. Ooh. He said... There is not one person who can hide their thoughts from God for nothing that we do remains a secret and nothing created is concealed, but everything is exposed and defenseless before his eyes to whom we must render an account. And he says in verse 15 and 16, he understands humanity for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are in conquered sin so that now we draw near freely and boldly. I love the passion because it says to where grace is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. Now I want to show you something. It's amazing. Asaph went from personal pronouns, I, me, my, mine, to you. And by the end of it, he's worshiping. He's out of his despondency and despair. Now, I want to tell you how we can do that. I want to show you. The Lord began to show me some things that is amazing. Because... When Israel came out, the same people, when they came out of, uh, of Egypt, they're at the Red Sea. They're at Pihahiroth and Migdal. They're in a perfect cul-de-sac. They're hemmed in. Now notice, after they cross the Red Sea, Miriam plays the tambourine. What would have been wrong if she had played the tambourine before the Red Sea ever parted? What, what, what was the difference? I mean, she played it when the Red Sea was parted. That's logical. What would have been illogical or God's logic would have been to go ahead and play the tambourine because he's going to part the sea. There's a rest that you and I, that God, the Holy Spirit, I've been praying all week. I said, Holy Spirit, teach me. Teach me how to do this. Teach me how to walk in this place that you've shown me. And I'm telling you, he, he has so graciously been opening up to me a, an avenue of rest and relief where the toil and the struggle and the fatigue and the frustration and all of that has subsided because now I can trust that God's going to do what he's going to do. I'm not worried about my kids. That's what the devil wants me to do. He wants me to stress. He wants me to get out of the place of rest. If God's works were completed, my children are already saved. So I'm going to go ahead and play the tambourine. Come on, somebody. 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your house. Your children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. Do we really believe God will do that? So, go ahead and get your tambourine. Go ahead and play it. (laughs) Come on, you understand what that means? That confuses the devil. It confuses your circumstance. Because your circumstance is looking for the natural response. Looking for the logical response. But see, we we need to get God's logic. We need to think like he thinks. Mark 4, let me give you this example. Jesus is in the boat and he's asleep. And they're in a storm. Isn't it amazing that when they left their profession, they got in more storms? (laughs) I mean, they, they were in a storm with him in the boat. They were in a storm when he wasn't in the boat. What's going on? I want to show you. He's asleep in the hinder part, the bow, or the stern. He's in the he's in the asleep. Now the logical, the the God logical thing for them to do was go back there and say, scoot over. (laughs) Come on, somebody. But they come back to Jesus and said, Don't you care? Here's the insult. The fact that they believed that they wouldn't be all right with Jesus in the boat was an insult. Come on, somebody. This is way too good to miss it. The insult was that they were not going to be all right. That, That if Jesus is in the boat, guess what? It don't matter. Because it's going to be okay. So Jesus gets up and the peace in him is greater than the storm. What would have been a a real bad thing for him to do is to get up and get on board with their anxiety. If him to begin to vibrate with the same attitude. But he didn't. Because the peace in him was greater than the storm on the sea. And any time the peace in you is greater than the storm outside, guess what? You can tell your storm to just be quiet. Come on, I'm about to preach. You you can walk in a place of rest knowing that everything's going to be all right. If he's in the boat. Here is idolatry. To have a perspective about yourself that is not in alignment with God's perspective of you. That's idolatry. Tell you another story. We're going to pray. It's a sight. Luke 7. There's a funeral procession coming out of Nain. Jesus, there's about to be a collision. Between life and death. Guess who's going to win? 
The Bible said her, her husband is dead, her son is dead, and she's carrying an open coffin. It's a beer, B-I-E-R. They're carrying it, and there's a multitude with them. Jesus is with his disciples, and there's a multitude following him. <laughs> when his party, his celebration meets frustration, you can say goodbye to his frustration. Because life is about to have a collision with death. And death is not going to win. Now here's the amazing part. He walks up to the woman and first words out of his mouth. Don't weep. Wait a minute. She's got an open coffin because here's what she said. The reason the coffin was open, they usually would bury them in closed coffins. She's saying, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with this. And Jesus walks up to her. What? It's amazing. And he says to her, don't cry. That's not logical. Because she's having a funeral. And she's thinking, I'm not okay with this. Maybe I do need to dry my tears because there's about to be a... I'm about to enter into a place I've never been before. He's First thing he said before the boy was ever... Before he said it, he, he didn't tell her, I'm about to raise your son from the dead. He, he didn't say that, that he's going to live and I'm going to present him to you. No, no, the first thing he said, don't weep. He didn't explain nothing to her. And he touched the coffin and said, young man, arise. Ooh. Come on, do you understand the rest? That that embraces when we come to a place of that kind of faith, that kind of trust in the Lord, that he will do what he said he would do. I'm telling you, it's amazing. You got seven, eight people in your house and, and you have to, uh, uh, the Lord relieved me. He said, he, he said, you've been laboring too hard. He said, you've been, you've been trying to figure this. He said, you just need to rest. You need to stop trying so hard. Because all of a sudden, he brought me into this understanding of my identity. That my father looks at you and me as the treasure in the field. Matthew 13, there's seven parables. This is going to offend some religious people too. I don't care. I hope it sets you free. Because I always thought the treasure was Jesus and I was the one that went and sold everything. But verse 38 says, the field is the world. It doesn't say, for I so love the world. It said, for God so loved the world. He found, it was Jesus who found you. 
as the treasure. And he was so mesmerized by you. He hid you. And he went and sold everything. Paid the ultimate price. Because he wanted the treasure. He refused to live without the treasure. That's you. You know why that sets me free? It's because there's certain things in life that will try to distract you and get you into that, that, that frame of mind where you're following the funeral procession and you don't see past that. You don't see who's coming to meet you. Who's all, Come on, somebody. And life will try to get you into that frame of mind where you can't see what's about to happen. But I'm telling you, I have been relieved of my duties. <laughs> Come on. Ooh. Now, let me tell you this, and I'm going to pray. If, you, if you're looking for God to do something for you, and, and you're looking for the things, it might be relational, it might be financial, it might be whatever those things are, if you focus on that, you missed it. Because when you come into that rest, he said, I'm taking you to a land that's flowing. Milk represents abundance. Honey represents the ability to be at rest. With It's mentioned as wisdom. Christ, the wisdom of God and the power of God. So we come to rest in him. So I just begin to thank the Lord. I said, thank you, Lord, that I am as I am supposed to be because you made me that way. And Lord, you see me. And you've already met my need before I ever get to the place where I have a problem. And since you're sleeping on the boat, just scoot over. <laughs> come on, somebody. Woo. He wanted them to have the same peace that he had. Sometimes he'll steal the storm, but sometimes he'll take you through it. Either way, you win. So, I want you to stand with me. I want to have God's logic. I want to have his logic. I'm so glad. <laughs>